Good morning and welcome to another episode of CCT Live, the Cape Cod Times live Facebook news broadcast brought to you every day here from the Cape Cod Times newsroom at 9 o'clock a.m. on Thursdays. I'm sorry, not every day. On Thursdays at 9 o'clock, starting at 9 o'clock. Uh, I'm Patrick Cassidy, news editor for the Cape Cod Times, and I'm joined today for the first time by Tanner Stenning, who covers the towns of Sandwich and Mashpee, as well as the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, which is going to be the focus of our big story today. First, we'll talk about some of the other stories of the week, including continued problems with the ferries um, and a look at the North Atlantic right whale uh, population and the crisis facing that species, uh, as well as uh, action taken by the town of Bourne on marijuana regulations. And then we'll take a look ahead after the big story, uh, again, about the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe to uh, a, a series coming up about Martin Luther King uh, Jr. and the 50th anniversary of his assassination and a lot of work that some reporters here went in, uh, put into uh, reporting on that issue. Um, first, we're going to, again, talk about some of the stories of the week. You can look at all our past episodes on Facebook and, and check out uh, all of your Cape Cod Times news at the website, capecodtimes.com, as well as our social media. Uh, this story uh, seems to be something that's come up every week for the last two weeks, every day maybe for the last two weeks, and seemingly almost every hour at times, and that's uh, the problems with the Steamship Authority ferries that go back and forth between Woods Hole and Vineyard Haven on Martha's Vineyard. Um, and this started uh, pretty far back. We have the, the latest story in today's paper uh, by Sean Driscoll, and it includes uh, on the back page a recap of ferry problems, and it's pretty dramatic to look at because it's a list that starts with March 15th, the Woods Hole Ferry running aground and being out of service for several hours, uh, brought back into service, taken back out of service again, and uh, then the Martha's Vineyard uh, losing power a couple of days later on March 17th. Again, these two ferries, the Martha's Vineyard and the Woods Hole, uh, being put into service, brought out of service, having a mechanical problem, coming back out of service. Um, and interestingly enough, these two ferries uh, in particular, one's a, a relatively new ferry, um, and the other is one that just went through a life refurbishment. Uh, and so you, you'd imagine that they would do our, do our right, but again, they've been having a lot of problems. This has been extraordinarily frustrating for clearly the, the people at the Steamship Authority who have had to bring in extra ferries. They've, they've brought in the Sea Streak, a fast ferry, to help alleviate some of the, the pain there, um, but also have had to rearrange trips and, and make sure that uh, people are getting uh, to and from the islands, including uh, deliveries. And today's story focused on the people on the island uh, who are having trouble getting uh, deliveries there, who are worried about the effect on business. We're coming up to spring here on Cape Cod and the islands, and people are starting to go and open their houses. Um, so uh, on the island, and, and there is some concern about uh, a bump that usually comes around this time of year in businesses out there as people start to go out there and open up uh, summer homes, essentially, and that bump may be not coming. The the problems have been kind of multiple. Now, I'm not an engineer. I don't know how much you know about ferries, Tanner. Zilch. Zilch. Nothing. Okay, yeah, there you go. But uh, the problems have had to do with, you know, these onboard operating systems. They've had to do with the uh, uh, propellers not being in sync in some cases. And each time there's a problem, or most of the time when there's a problem, they have to take these ferries down to a Fairhaven facility that the steamship operates to do uh, these types of repairs. Um, but again, in reading today's story, you can start to sense the frustration that people are feeling. And even uh, the uh, ferry uh, uh, boat lines uh, on board, uh, Mark Hanover, who's uh, the representative from um, uh, the island, uh, was was talking in this story and talking about how uh, frustrating it is because they need to be consistent 
this is a lifeline. It's kind of like the bridges for us here on Cape Cod getting over the canal right, right. Um, to get to the islands. Um, have you taken any of the ferries over to the islands, Tanner, yourself? N uh, not in my adult life. Not, not in your adult <laughs> life. Oh, That's so right. Yep. a child. Um, but it really is, again, a, you know, a, a something that people rely on to get to and from the island, to get supplies to and from the island, and clearly is the lifeline, as they call it, to the islands. And right now it's broken. Um, and, again, the ferries uh, have been brought back into service only to be taken out of service again. So we're waiting to see how this all plays out. The state, the governor, um, governor's office has been in touch with the Steamship Authority, which is kind of this uh, state agency, but it has its own governing board. Uh, um, and then uh, local legislators are starting to weigh in as well. So clearly everybody sees the import of this for business on the island right. uh, in any case. And, and certainly coming to the summer, I think that's the, the start of today's story is people saying essentially, at least it's not summer, um, which would which would be an even bigger disaster. Right. Um, also this week, uh, Bourne on Monday had a special town meeting and like a lot of the towns on Cape Cod, it uh, was addressing an issue that's come to the forefront, uh, the legalization of marijuana and how these individual towns are dealing with it. What happened at the special town meeting, Tanner? Uh, yeah, so um, on Monday, uh, Bourne had a special town meeting that was uh, scheduled to uh, take up two articles on uh, recreational marijuana. Uh, one uh, was to um, amend a zoning bylaw, essentially the town's uh, zoning bylaws, uh, to disallow uh, recreational marijuana just across all, all zoning districts. Um, In terms of facilities, that is, it, yeah, you, yeah. You, again, it's legal to have, to possess, to right. imbibe by state law, in any case, still illegally federal, illegal federally, but this has to do with uh, recreational facilities. Right, and that would be uh, the, the cultivation centers, uh, the testing labs, um, other recreational uh, businesses, um, and that, so that was one, one article that they had taken up. Um, uh, and the other was uh, um, a just a general ban on the shops um, across the board, just an outright ban on any recreational establishment in the town of Bourne. Um, I wasn't at, personally at the meeting, uh, but uh, speaking with uh, Ethan Genter, the reporter who covers Bourne, uh, he seemed, seemed to suggest that there was some confusion about what was being voted on. Um, I think uh, it, folks were, um, you know, I think it's kind of counterintuitive to vote to you know, to vote to ban something, and and so you know that may have been may have been uh, something that was was causing a problem. But uh, initially, um, you know, there was a, there was a movement to, or I should say, a motion to uh, to uh, postpone this this uh, essentially this ban on uh, this prohibition on the shops, um, and that that failed uh, that motion by uh, a vote of uh, 207 to 155. Um, and then, uh, so the voters obviously wanted to proceed with the two, um, you know, the two uh, um, articles. The yeah, the, yeah, the two articles. So those proceeded. Um, there was a, as uh, Ethan describes, there was spirited debate on the subject, as there often is uh, with marijuana. Um, or any subject at town meeting, really. I mean, it's right, a place right. where people really get into it. Right. I think that. Well, I think that that you know the question of recreational establishments is sort of far from settled. Uh, speaking to Ethan, he said that uh, Bourne had narrowly voted um, in 2016 to, to, uh, to legalize. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's still a divisive issue for the town of Bourne. Uh, but ultimately, uh, on the two, the two um, questions there, uh, they voted down uh, uh, against 
um, a, a ban on this, again, the bylaw. The zoning uh, bylaw. Yeah, the amendment to the zoning bylaw, which would, uh, which would, which would have been a ban across all zoning districts, uh, and then the outright ban. So they, they uh, declined to do that as well. Um, so that's what we've got there. Um, well, and again, it was interesting because you mentioned uh, the suggestion of confusion. The people at the meeting said they were confused multiple times. I mean, they were confused as to what they were voting for, uh, which is never a good sign. And, and part of that goes back uh, possibly to the fact that Selectmen, Planning Board, Finance Committee, these are all boards that typically will weigh in uh, in advance of a, of a meeting like this. And each of those boards declined to support the two proposed bans. Uh, now, it's not as, as black and white as you may think because one of the things that's in play here is there's been an extension of the ability to have a moratorium in your town uh, for right. uh, marijuana until you can kind of figure all this out. And a lot of the towns on the Cape, at least, are going forward with this kind of bootstrapping where they will they'll do a zoning bylaw ban, right, right. they'll do a general ban, and then if those two fail, then they have to come up with some regulatory scheme to say where these recreational facilities can be located. And, and obviously all the arguments that go into, is it you know healthy to have marijuana facilities in your town? Is it financially a, a good idea to have marijuana facilities in your town? Right. Um, and there's benefits and detriments uh, that people uh, come to the table with whenever they're talking about this. But again, fairly confusing. In the end, they did vote against both these bans. Right. Um, and so uh, we'll see the town does have a moratorium uh, on, on these shops through November, at least right now, I think. And again, I think that can be uh, extended at this point. Um, there are a couple ar other articles on the town meeting warrant where folks can look at if they go to our website and look uh, for this article on Bourne town meeting voters rejecting uh, the pot shop bans. I mean, one of the just uh, I was looking through and the postponement was one thing. Um, and then the question did obviously come to the floor. Um, but again, I can't imagine if the people there were confused, it's it's kind of hard to piece through exactly what was happening. But in right, any case, right. <laughs> the end result was was that these bans were uh, voted down uh, at this point. Um, we're going to go on to a story uh, that's been, uh, you know, a story we've covered extensively throughout the years. And uh, we had a couple of reporters, uh, Doug Frazier and Marianne Bragg, uh, take this uh, story up and take it to the next level, if you will. Um, Doug uh, is our fisheries reporter. Uh, Marianne has been covering the uh, North Atlantic right whale for some time now. Um, both extraordinarily knowledgeable about the story. And in recent uh, years, and this past year especially, this species, which was already basically on the edge um, with, you know, 450, 500 individuals, de depending on what, what count you were looking at, had uh, a really bad year last year. There were 16 mm -hmm. uh, deaths uh, that are known among North Atlantic right whales. Um, uh, perhaps which is huge. huge. Yeah, which is huge. Again, as yeah. a percentage of that 450-ish number. Um, that's a that's a large percentage, and given you know the the need for uh, new uh, members of the species, anytime that any of those uh, are female that die, then you're talking about even even bigger problem. And they're they're dying from a couple of things here. They're dying from ship strikes um, and and entanglements, and uh, that's something that uh, the U.S. has taken some action on. Um, but one of the things that was clear was a lot of these deaths were occurring in. Canadian waters. Mm. Um, and uh, so there was certain action that uh, Canada hadn't taken in terms of uh, fishing lines, in terms of ship speeds. We have around Cape Cod 
uh, uh, slow uh, times where ships have to slow down when there's been whales spotted. Um, but again, the species was on the rise, and I don't know how much you've been following North Atlantic right whales over the years, uh, uh, Tanner, but it was on the rise, and, and then about, I think, 2010, uh, things started to kind of go in the opposite direction. And again, each individual is really matters, and, and this story actually used one individual in particular, a whale named Wart, and, and uh, I guess you can imagine how, how she got that name. Um, but it was amazing to see how Doug and Marianne kind of tracked Wart's life, and it literally had like a family tree of Wart. Uh, she was the mother to seven calves, grandmother to 13, great-grandmother to six. So, you know, it's amazing that they can do this. A lot of it has to do with DNA. Uh, she's been spotted 66 times in total, wow. which is pretty amazing. It's like almost walking yeah. down the street and seeing somebody you know for these scientists. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you ever seen North Atlantic right whales? I not in person. No. Not whales at all? Have you ever <laughs> I, been I've on seen a, them? Yes. You've been yeah. on a whaling? Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> yep. it's a very popular pastime here on the yep. Cape uh, for visitors, uh, locals alike, to either go out on a uh, whale watching uh, ship or uh, or see them from shore. A lot of times up in Provincetown, you can be walking along the beach and there's whales right out there, but the North Atlantic right whale in particular comes to Cape Cod Bay for uh, food. And again, that's some of the other concerns is that maybe there's been some change in the environment that has led them into different places looking for food. Uh, Doug and Marianne really take a, a hard look at that. Um, and then today, Marianne has a story in today's paper uh, about how Canada has taken steps at this point, um, and, and this has to do with establishing slow uh, zones or, or times when ships have to slow down mm -hmm. uh, in the presence mm -hmm. of right whales or when whales have been spotted, and looking at, again, that fishing gear. A lot of that information is in today's story. You can go back and look at the special report uh, that came out on uh, uh, Sunday that was in our paper, and there's a ton of information there, including data about these whales. And really the question is, uh, again, is the species going to survive? There's been predictions that 40 years from now they're going to essentially be extinct, which, uh, again, is hard to imagine that in our lifetime right. uh, an animal that large uh, could right. just disappear. Um, and then the question really of is it enough, uh, these actions that are be taken, being taken by the Canadian and the uh, uh, U.S. government, um, so a lot to, to dive into there and, and uh, worth taking the time to read uh, the story from the weekend and the story in today's paper by Marianne. Um, we're going to move on to, at this point, the, the big story uh, of the week, Tanner, and this is something that you've been covering. Um, it has to do with the, the tribe, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, its uh, quest to uh, have land taken into trust, a reservation. Um, it, it had gained uh, federal recognition a number of years ago. Um, but there's always been this history with the tribe and the town, and, and you had a couple of stories this week. Uh, if you could start with talking about the one uh, about shellfishing regulations, and um, I don't know if it's a dispute as much as a discussion that's mm -hmm. been going on between yeah. the tribe and the town. What, what happened uh, in that case? Yeah, so um, a lot of things have uh, started to come to light more with the, the tribe and the town uh, as they uh, held their first meeting in a few years. Uh, back on March 5th, um, and that was a, the, you know, that meeting, there was a lengthy agenda, it was a meeting between the selectmen and the tribal council and the tribal chair and the vice chair. And as um, you said, relatively rare that this yeah, would occur. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's it's rare. Um, the meeting, as I said, it covered a, a, a variety of topics very tangentially, and, um, you know, one of those topics was uh, obviously this, this ongoing legal challenge that the tribe is contending with. Um, that was sort of discussed and brushed over a little bit. 
Um, but what, in my mind, became the big story of that meeting was um, a discussion of uh, local shellfishing regulations. Um, the town of Mashpee um, is uh, in the process of, of pursuing a plan that would um, ultimately try to restore uh, water quality levels in Pompanesset Bay and in the you know the various water bodies in Mashpee, um, and to do that they rely on shellfish, um, essentially oysters and, and quahogs. Um, and the idea is that they're filtering the water and, and yeah. cleaning it in the process, which is something that's been talked about in a lot of towns on the Cape. Right. Yeah. And and so um, that uh, was became uh, an issue that uh, I think the tribe had bristled at a little bit. Um, given that the uh, tribe, um, you know, they trace their ancestral roots back 12,000 years here um, in, in uh, you know, in the Northeast. Um, and um, so, uh, but the tribe historically has, has fished, hunted, gathered, um, and that, that uh, was something that, um, you know, they've done for, from since time immemorial. It's just something that they, they just have done. And over the years, uh, court cases have um, uh, affirmed the tribe's right to uh, to do these things without needing to um, adhere to local local regulation. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that was uh, that was something that was discussed. And and um, one of the uh, um, Mashpee selectmen, Andrew Gottlieb, who's very outspoken on the matter, um, he uh, was trying to, I think, uh, get tribe members to see that the town also has a plan. Uh, to to use these shellfish and it requires adherence uh, to uh, to these regulations. The idea is now, if you put a bunch of shellfish out there yeah. and then you're taking a bunch that aren't regulated and you're not kind of counting how they're taken. Right. Your your plan is based on this uh, matter. But the tribe itself uh, says they've been working with the town on water quality issues. Right. And, and it's something that they're keenly aware of. Um, and and there's only a few. Uh, as they say, shell fishermen who are members of the tribe who are out there, you know, right. doing There's this. actually there's fewer than ten, according to uh, Chucky Green, who is the uh, who heads the tribe's natural resources uh, department. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that was a point of division. The the um, uh, vice chair Jesse uh, 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 Little Doe, as they call her, yep. um, she had uh, you know said uh, said to me that there was at no point did the tribe ever consider um, um, that it had to. Uh, um, abide by or come up with their own regulations um, in response to uh, uh, what the town is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and Andrew Gottlieb, again, Selectman Gottlieb from, from Mashpee, was was uh, uh, was questioning uh, the tribe as to you know what their own regulations are. How do they you know how do they uh, 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 fish safely, for example? Um, and, and again, just to be clear, the, the town says the state really wants them to enforce the state regulations as far as shell fishing yeah. goes, and they have to do that in order to, to adhere to state law. Right. Um, and they said they're going to do that. Now, again, this would probably end up in court again if they right. tried to enforce this on a tribe member. Um, so it doesn't seem like there's a, a point that they reached where they were all saying, okay, we, we agree on how this is going to go forward. It, it was brought up and is seemingly something that's going to go forward and there are going to be future discussions about. But the, the twist here is, again, this idea of using, using shellfish for the water quality plan and the effect that taking some of those shellfish out of the water could have. And we're just going to move on to the, the other yeah. uh, even larger story yeah. as it pertains to the tribe, which is uh, the ongoing uh, fight, as you uh, referenced earlier, it, that they're in to maintain their land and trust. And again, this is land in Mashpee, this is land in Taunton. 
uh, the land in Taunton in particular is land where they're looking to build a billion dollar casino. Right. Um, and something happened last week and then, you know, was added to this week in terms of, of where that stood because the Interior Department uh, was in this process of deciding whether they were going to maintain that land and trust. What happened last week, I guess, to start with? Uh, yeah, so uh, as it pertains, again, to this March 5th meeting between the town uh, and, and the tribe, uh, the discussion of the ongoing litigation that the tribe is facing, uh, there's a challenge to a 2015 um, agreement by the, uh, the federal government to take land into trust for the tribe. It's land in Mashpee and in Taunton. That was discussed at the March 5th meeting. Um, last week, although the bill was uh, officially filed on March 9th, um, it, it, we had learned that uh, Congressman Keating had introduced a bill that would essentially uh, reaffirm the tribe's reservation entire without, uh, you know, without needing to contend with the court decision that the tribe is, didn't have in its favor. Um, and so that, that uh, uh, bill was introduced um, on March 9th. It came to light a few weeks later. Um, the town, again, the town had, uh, over the years, it had cited ongoing issues with communication with the tribe. Um, this was just another example of that. They, uh, at the most recent uh, Board of Selectmen hearing, um, the selectmen discussed, well, this is something that we were, you know, blindsided completely blindsided by. Yeah. yeah, we, we uh, you know, we, we didn't know this was happening. We wish there was some communication on the tribe's part, on uh, Congressman Keating's office. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that they're in the process of writing a letter to the tribe to, you know, essentially, you know, put their concerns to them. Um, and uh, so, but uh, again, on, on top of that, the, you know, the, the House and the Senate both have to vote uh, on a bill uh, to pass it. Um, so last week, um, Senator uh, Markey uh, introduced the same bill. Now, this is a bill that had actually been, um, had been passed before in similar cases with other tribes. Yep. Um, and there was, there's, there's... So not this exact bill, but yeah. in, again, similar cases language, other tribes, yeah. they had affirmed the, those tribes' rights to the land right. uh, in, in other cases. Yeah, and so the, the bill, uh, what it would do is it, it would affirm the reservation. It would say that this is a legal reservation. We recognize the tribe um, as a, as a you know, federally recognized tribe that's been here for, again, many, many centuries. Um, and uh, so now the, the, the House and the Senate, the, this is the federal Congress, they both have bills uh, that they will be taking up potentially um, that uh, if passed would, would end essentially, according to legal ex experts, this whole issue of whether or not the reservation, um, you know, they, can, they have a right to this reservation land that they, that they uh, had taken into trust. And it's a, that balance in government, obviously. You have the judiciary making a decision based on current laws, and this is obviously the legislative branch of the federal government coming in and saying, we're going to actually just make a law, and then that's going to be the law of the land, and therefore any judiciary decisions going forward would be based on that. The law in this case would be to affirm the tribe's right to these lands, and as you said, it would... Uh, negate any legal challenges uh, that exist, and it's Taunton neighbors who are, are challenging this right. land and trust, and of course they have concerns about the casino that's being planned there um, and is on hold currently. Um, but again, it also highlighted this question of communication between the town and the tribe, uh, which has been a long-standing issue, and again, for several years, as you reported in that previous story, uh, they really weren't officially talking, and, and it doesn't seem like there was any real reason for that, but they just hadn't gotten together and, and even coming up with a date seemed to be a, a process that was uh, held up uh, in that case. But in any case, 
a lot more in your stories from this week and a lot more to go uh, uh, forward with. Uh, there's going to be plenty of stories. We'll see how, how the bill, you know, it still has to be passed again right. in Congress and, and uh, the effects uh, thereafter. Um, we're going to look ahead real quick here, and then we're going to let you go. We had a little delay start today, so we apologize for that. That was just a technical issue. Um, looking ahead, we have starting on Sunday uh, a series of stories by reporter Jeff Spillane and Kathy Scrizzy Driscoll looking at the Martin Luther King 50th anniversary of, of Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s assassination. Day one uh, is going to kind of look at uh, what he would say in today's racial climate. Where are we now in terms of uh, racial issues? Um, looking ahead to uh, day two, we're going to look at how his message has been uh, basically taken up by different people, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in ways that he, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. probably wouldn't have expected, uh, how it's been maybe co-opted, cherry-picked uh, his words uh, from his speeches. Everybody knows the I Have a Dream speech, but there was more to that than the end of the speech that's often discussed. Um, and then Tuesday, uh, going to look at how he's influenced activists uh, of all, all types throughout the years and, and to look ahead at a lot of events coming up to mark this anniversary. Again, 50 years ago on uh, April 4th, uh, 1968, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Tanner, for being on. Tell your friends, share the link. Feel free to reach out to us. Uh, all our emails are on the Cape Cod Times uh, website, uh, capecodtimes.com. We're where the news on Cape Cod starts. Uh, until next week, have a good morning and good luck.